If you have a Bible or device, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 16, and we'll be there in just a few moments. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. We are in week three of a series entitled Jesus the Storyteller. Jesus was known not only as a teacher, but a storyteller in a culture uh, where storytelling was very common. And one of the ways that Jesus taught in his stories was what we call through parables. And if you're not familiar with the parable, a parable is a story or an illustration that is used to communicate a spiritual truth. And the reason parables are sometimes used is because the meaning of the truth isn't always on the surface. Sometimes you have to dig and think about it, and you're challenged and stretched because Jesus wanted to see in our hearts whether we would, were seeking him or we're not seeking him. Do I really want to hear what he is saying and what he is teaching? Well, today we're talking about the parable of the shrewd manager, and it is one of the, if not the most difficult parable. It's confusing. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult. Uh, we look at what's the point that's being made. And kind of in addition to that, what compounds that is the story has kind of a, a, a shocking ending. And then Jesus uh, says something and we're scratching our head and we're like, what does he mean by that. So it's a, it's a challenging parable. The, the meaning isn't obvious. The parable is about money and material possessions. And Jesus had a lot to say about money and material possessions that he does not want you, young or old, rich or poor, to be foolish with your money and material possessions. He wants you to be wise. And in fact, as we add the future to that, he wants you to be shrewd. Shrewd has the idea of, um, of thinking ahead, planning ahead. So he wants you to be shrewd with your money. Now, I want to give a disclaimer up front. If you're new with us, we do not talk about money every Sunday at Woodside. <laughs> we do not want your money, okay? This is message is not about getting something from you. It's about giving something to you. It's what God wants for you with your money. And by the way, just a note, it's not your money anyway. It's what he wants for you as you use his money. And I just want to say thank you to our church. Our giving continues to increase every year. Uh, uh, we have a generous church, and we're giving to the ministries of this church, but we're also given, giving to missions to support uh, those going out from us and others who are telling others the good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, we use our money for, to bring in refugees, fa refugee families, and, and we're uh, uh, actively involved in that at present. Uh, we use it. We have a benevolence fund and different causes. So thank you, Woodside. Uh, for using and, uh, your money and being generous to God's causes. And just before we begin, another disclaimer, so we don't want your money, and the other disclaimer is this, is Jesus either rose from the dead and every single word he says is truth, or Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and you shouldn't listen to a word of what's being said today. We at Woodside believe he rose from the dead, and so now we're going to look at what he says about money and material possessions. So let's read the parable, Luke 16, and then we'll look at Jesus' commentary after. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. 
So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be tr also trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Why did Jesus say and teach so much about money? If you look at his three dozen or so parables, over a third, about 40% of them, have to do with money and stuff. If you look at Scripture as a whole, there's a lot of verses to do with money and stuff. There's about 500 verses in Scripture about prayer, almost 500 verses to do with faith, but over 2,000 verses to do with money and material possessions. Why does God, why is He so concerned about money? Is He obsessed with it? No. It's because He knows we can be obsessed with it. Every one of us here today was made in the image of God. We're the pinnacle of His creation. You are loved by God more than anything or anyone. He made you for Himself that you would live with Him for all eternity. His heart is for you. You're made by Him and for Him. His heart is for you. And in that relationship, He wants your heart for Him. And anything that competes for your heart, He warns you about. Anything that competes for your heart and you follow is called idolatry. John Calvin, uh, one of the reformers, uh, famously quoted that our hearts are idol-making factories. Look around today in culture. It's not new. There's all kinds of things that can be first in your life before God. There's all kinds of things that can have your heart. Sports can be like what you think about most, and that's just the most important thing. A house or possessions family could be more important to you than God. At the top of the list is money, often because money brings power, brings status, makes a lot of promises. Money can pull you away from the God who made you. You're captivated by it. 
You're consumed by it. You're controlled by it. You're enamored by it. You're, in a sense, dazzled by it. I love this quote by Ignatius of Antioch, and he said, apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle you. Uh, John, the oldest disciple, uh, lived till the end of the first century. One of his followers, the guy, one of the guys, he said, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. Every single thing, single thing he said is true. Follow him was Polycarp, and he was martyred for the faith, burned at the stake. Another tradition says is Antioch, is, uh, Ignatius, who was the bishop of Antioch, and we believe he died for his faith as well. And Antioch said, apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle you. We, could often, we can even say it this way. When you understand Christ, nothing will dazzle you. When you understand his love for you, who he is, what he's done for you, and what he's promised to do for you for all eternity, everything in the world will grow strangely dim. You start getting things and looking at things as if they're trinkets from a McDonald's Happy Meal. Oh, look at that little toy, right? Look at that little house. Although I must admit, there's some islands where you can get for 20 million with a house. That, that, those are nice trinkets. <laughs> Jesus warns us about money because it can pull us away from what life is about, our relationship with God. So he tells this parable, there's a rich man, he's an owner and his business has to do with agricultural commodities. We see that with the grain and the olive oil. And he's rich. He's so rich that he hires somebody. This is common um, uh, in past years. They would hire a manager, a steward, someone to look after his business affairs, his estate, his assets, his, his debts. So the, the manager in that day had a high-profile position had a lot of power, a lot of responsibility, and the manager starts to steal from the owner. The owner calls him in, and he says, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. You are about to be fired. Now, in a parable, we don't start saying, well, this means that and that means this because parables, that's the nature of a parable. Jesus' teachings, we can do that. A parable is just making one point. But in parables, we can see, are there any parallels to what Jesus taught outside of a parable? And we do see that Jesus taught and Scripture teaches that you and I will give an account of how we managed the owner's money. You will give an account of how you managed what God has entrusted to you. A reminder today that money and stuff is not good and it's not bad. It's a tool to be used for God, okay? Prosperity gospel, um, the prosperity gospel is unbiblical, right? Money is wonderful and every Christian should be rich. But the poverty gospel is also unbiblical. Money is bad and every Christian should be poor. No, money is neither good or bad. It's a tool to be used for God's glory. And just a reminder today, everything you have belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that includes your toaster oven. That includes your car. That includes if you have a trailer, ATV, cottage. It's all the Lord's. Maybe you're here and you would say, 
maybe you're not yet a Christian, you say, I'm not sure I agree with that. I've worked hard to get my money. Uh, I went to, to college or university and did a lot of training, or I started young and I've been saving and, and working hard, and my car, my house, it's mine. I, I've, I've earned it. Well, God reveals to us in Deuteronomy 8 that actually He's the one that's given you the skills to earn it. Deuteronomy 8 says that when you start to think that my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth, remember or remind yourself that it's God who has given you the skills to produce the wealth. It's interesting to me as I get older um, how many things I can do and how many things I can't do right? We're wired in certain ways. I am not a person who can invent things. I'm not even a person who can build things. I kind of can fix things a bit, but not real good. <laughs> my wife always cheers me on for my perseverance. Keep going. Hang in there. I can clean things and manage things pretty good. If you're here and you look at build things, who's giving you that ability? If you're here and you can invent things, who's giving you that ability? Who's wired you that way? In addition, who's giving you eyesight if you can see? Who's giving you hearing? Who's giving you the ability to walk? Who's giving you 22,000 breaths a day? Who's giving you the two million working parts in your eye? Who's giving you all of your organs? Don't forget, it's God, and He is going to call all of us to an account and say, how did you manage my things. So this manager is about to be fired, and, and uh, we, can, we continue the story. Here's what he thinks. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Right? He's a white-collar guy. We all know white-collar people can't lift anything. So I'm just kidding. Okay, sorry, man. <laughs> just kidding. There are lots. Okay. Some of these things aren't in my notes. i got to just like dial it back here. Okay. Um, I'm ashamed to beg. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to be fired. But I've got a plan that people will welcome me, owe me, help me into their houses. What this guy is doing is he's thinking about his future. What am I going to do with my future? Okay. He's been managing these assets. He's about to be fired. What am I going to do with my future? So verse 5, so he called in each of the master's debtors, his master's debtors. He's asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. That was a significant amount. That's a huge sum in that day. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly. Do you see the word quickly? Anybody here? Sign this quickly. This deal is like it's going to pass, right? <laughs> Sign it quickly and make it 450, 50. How do you like that deal? Does that make you happy? Yeah, that makes you happy, doesn't it? That's how good my master is. Cut your bill in half. Goes to the next guy, asks the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Do you like that? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I wonder what you can do with all that extra stuff you don't have to pay back. This guy's cutting deals with the owner's money, his stuff. Why did he do that? One is these guys are going to be grateful to him because they don't know 
that the manager's not acting in the interests of the owner. The manager's self-serving, self-preservation. But they think the owner's giving them a deal. But this guy is like, they're going to be grateful, but here's the catch. They're going to be indebted to him. In the first century in honor-shame culture, if someone did that for you, it was like you got an IOU to put in your pocket. And if they were to say, hey, I, it was all his ideas, idea, this guy could take them down with him because there were no witnesses. Sign quickly. No, you're going down with me. So this guy does something that is unethical and wrong. This, this, this manager takes his owner's money and he rips the, man, the owner off even more. And now here's the surprise ending to the story. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. The owner finds out, and instead of condemning this guy, I'm taking you to court. I'm going to sue you for everything you have. And by the way, he wouldn't have had much because he was on the estate. I'm going to, he didn't condemn him, but he commended him. In a sense, hats off to you. Wow, that was pretty brilliant because the manager acted shrewdly. The manager saw that he was about to be fired and so used what he had to secure his future. Okay. There's a negative connotation to the word shrewdly. Sometimes we think of crafty, underhanded, but there's a positive connotation to the word shrewdly, and that's the idea here. It's having the foresight to plan ahead for your future. Wisdom is sound judgment. Shrewdness is sharp judgment. You can perceive what the future's like, and so you use what you have to secure that future, to, to plan for that future. So he commends the owner. That's surprising, or the, uh, the manager. And then Jesus adds this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than there are the people of, of the light. The people of this world, unbelievers, they have more foresight with their future than believers, people of the light, have with theirs. What's Jesus saying? He's observing, observing, and he's saying, you see all these people around that are doing everything and anything to get money and stuff. They're doing it for 70 years. And yet, believers, you have all eternity, and you're not half as passionate, half as devoted about thinking about your future and using what you have for your future. Here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. It's this. Well, let's read the next verse. Here's the point of his parable. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Again, this is a tough parable. First, the end of the story, but now what Jesus says about it. Jesus is not saying, use your money to buy friends. And Jesus is not saying, use your money to get into heaven, because elsewhere we find that that's not biblical, it's not taught. What Jesus is saying, and we're going to notice three particular words. The first word is gone. Notice that. Use your worldly wealth in a way before it's gone. Your worldly wealth 
It has a shelf life that you can only use it for so long. Just a reminder, right? Because we don't want anybody at Woodside to be deluded, right? A delusion is believing something that is not true. And out in our world, we're often hearing, this is your stuff, eat, drink, and be merry, and it's your stuff. Okay, it's going to be gone. Okay, so if you want to go home later today, maybe for practice, say goodbye to your fridge, say goodbye to your car, say goodbye to your house, say goodbye to your clothes. It's all gone. You're not going to experience it after you die. So before you lose everything, he says, he wants you to use it for, notice, eternal dwellings. Instead of just using it for now, use what you have for eternity, eternal dwellings, heaven, use it. And then the word, friends, Take what you have and use it for the future, for your future, so that you will have friends that, in a sense, will welcome you into heaven. What's the idea there? The idea is that use your money for God's purposes, for people, because people matter, so that people will, in a sense, thank you for how you've used your money in heaven or in, on earth. It's sending your money ahead to gain people for Jesus, for heaven. So let me give you an illustration. Uh, what came to mind for me uh, was last Sunday, uh, we had 11 people baptized, and 9 of the 11 were young people. And uh, wasn't, I just, uh, it was awesome. Um, I always love a baptism, but 11. And the other two that, that, that uh, weren't uh, baptized or weren't uh, youth, older, just to hear God's working in their lives. I was so encouraged. But as the young people were sharing their stories and then going under the water, um, my wife, every Sunday in the second service, I keep a Kleenex in my pocket in case I need to sneeze or something. And about three-quarters of the time, she's asking for it during worship because she wants to dry her eye, right? So during the baptism, she takes my Kleenex. I can have your Kleenex. She's like, I honestly needed it back. I was like just these, these were youth that were dedicated as little babies. And I thought as they were being baptized, I thought of, of our children's ministry and some individuals and how year after year they poured themselves into these youth. I thought of our youth ministry and people that had poured into to them in this church. But I also thought about some other people that aren't with us anymore. 13 years ago, we built that addition, and one of the reasons we built it was for our youth, that they have a space to call their own. Thursday nights, every other Thursday night, the elders meet, and I come early sometimes, have to come early, and I always just love watching these youth in the gym. It's just like so awesome, thriving junior youth, and then also thriving senior youth, but so awesome. And I thought of those people that are no longer with us, that took their money, and I don't know how much, because I don't know how much people give, but they took their money, and I know they were faithful, and they gave to that addition so that the next generation could have a blast and hear about Jesus. That those seniors that have gone never once slam dunked, never once threw a ball at somebody. And by the way, youth, make sure it's below the shoulders when you throw it. Never once threw a ball. 
I think might have had a potluck in there once. But they're no longer with us. But they took what they had and they sent it ahead. And it's almost like there's a reunion that these people baptized. They're like, I don't know what it's going to look like. We're just speculating. And about a year from now, we're going to renovate, uh, in particular, a few place spaces, but the, the basement for our children. And it's not because we want a beautiful basement for our children and a safe place, but it's because we want these children to have fun and hear about Jesus. That's what we're talking about, sending it ahead. Jesus' point is this, if you want to uh, jot it down, is that we live or should live our lives with a future eternity-oriented mindset, which means we use our money and material possessions that God has entrusted to us in this age for His eternal saving purposes. And there are people doing that around the world. You look historically, uh, hospitals, schools, um, what else? A number of things. Orphanages. Who, who started those things? Today, you take studies. Who were the most generous people in the world? Christians are, because we're planning ahead. We're putting it for God's purposes. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about the same thing, where he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And by the way, now it's cyber stealing, right, for some of us, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not break in, or moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Again, sending it ahead. Paul taught, again, that we're going to give an account of what we sent ahead or what we didn't send ahead. He says in 1 Corinthians 3 that we all build on the same foundation, Jesus. We're all going to heaven, but we can build our lives with silver, gold, silver, and costly stones or wood, hay, and straw. If we build and the fire judges, and there's something left, we will get a reward. But if we build and there's nothing left, it all goes up in smoke. We'll be saved, but there's no reward. Let me just pause again and talk about rewards. In heaven, we're not walking around with crowns on our head. We're not having bigger mansions than somebody else. Well, what's, what are the rewards? Again, there's speculation. I believe it's internal rewards. That in heaven, everybody is going to enjoy Jesus but there'll be different degrees of enjoyment based on how we live for Him. So we're all going to enjoy it, just like some of you enjoy country music. I used to. No, I'm just kidding. But there's some of you that you just love country music. You just love country Different. We're all going to enjoy it, and we won't know that person's enjoyment. In, but what we read from Jesus and hear from Jesus is you're not going to outgive him. When you honor him with your money and material possessions, he sees it and he's going to reward you, whatever that looks like. And I just want to, before we close with a few verses, remind us again of Luke chapter 12, the parable Jesus told us there because it is sobering. It's a reminder. We need to bring it to mind again and again. Jesus told another parable where he said there was a rich man who had a field that, that produced an abundant harvest, and uh, then he said to himself, what am I going to do? My barns aren't big enough to store my crops. I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns to store my surplus, surplus grain so that I'll be able then to have so much grain I can say, hey, 
take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I've got all this stuff. And God says to him, you fool. Tonight, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have stored up for yourselves? The answer, not you. And then Jesus says, that is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. Jesus says to you and me, and we, it's either he's telling us the truth or he isn't. He says, if you use your money just for you and even for your family, but you couldn't care about God and his eternal plan and being part of his kingdom and advancing that, he says, you're really foolish. This parable and the parable we found in Luke 16 we're talking about here today, it's all about the future. It's all about the future. And then Jesus adds this commentary, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Whether God has entrusted you with little or God's entrusted you with much, that's not the issue. The issue is your heart. Are you going to honor him and be trustworthy, or aren't you? And then Jesus goes on to say this, and again, he's talking about our hearts. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can serve three different bosses, have three different jobs, but you can't serve three different owners masters. One-third of the kingdom in the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus was, uh, they were slaves. It was a different slavery than, than we, what we think, but you work for your master, and he owned you. You couldn't go to another estate and work for someone else. It was one or the other, and Jesus is saying to you t- today, you've got to choose. Has God got your heart or money and material possessions? Does that have your heart? Are you captivated, enamored, controlled by, consumed by God, or are you captivated, controlled by, consumed by, enamored by, dazzled by money and stuff? Just a note to all of us that making money, or sorry, um, money makes a good servant, but a horrible master. Because when you don't use money, so you're serving God and using money as opposed to serving money and using God, when you are consumed by money and controlled by money, that's not the way God designed you. And so you're not going to find contentment. You always got to have the next new thing. What's the next new iPad? What's the next new, you know, new boat? What's the next new truck? What's the next? I got to have it. Like you're just always discontent. And you're greedy and you're envious, and those things work on your soul. God wants you to be free, and you're free by using it for Him. So let me just give a couple points before we close. Parents, can I encourage you to teach your children to give? I know with my three kids, we taught them to tithe 10%. Uh, that goes first for the, to the Lord, and maybe your financial situation, you might be struggling where, okay, maybe it's only going to be 2 or 3%, or maybe uh, whatever it is, that's between you and God, but teach your child to learn to give, and then with their 
the desire that you want to continue to give more and more as you're able to his causes. Because you don't want your child to be tight-fisted through life. You want your child to have open hands. And studies show generous people are happier. We know that. Study after study. Generous people are happier. And in fact, um, they've now, they're now doing studies about the neural mechanics in the brain. And when we give of our money or even give of our time to serve, because God's wired us that way, it activates a certain part in our brain that makes us feel good, feel happy. So God knows what he's doing. You give, it's going to pull you away from discontent and from fear and worry and all of those things, and it's pulling you to God and trusting in him. So parents, can you teach your child, let's have open hands. So we're going to take this and give the first part. It only be, I don't know, I used to say it'd only be a nickel or a dime, but it's only going to be a loony or a toony maybe, but you're teaching them to give. Young people, this is something that you need to learn to do, that you will say, God, you matter so much to me. You're the most important thing in my life. I don't want anything else to have my heart, so I'm taking this thing that has a lot of power, and I'm giving the first part to you, and I'm going to trust with the rest. Yes, I could have that that my friend has, and that, and that, and that, but God, I'm going to trust you. You're enough for me. Oh, God, come and work in my heart. I want to I love you more than anything. And so I encourage you, youth, whether you have little or much. You might just be the head French fry guy at McDonald's. Take that and start, tithe, or start giving off of that. Again, this message is not about getting stuff from us or from you. It's about what God wants to do in you. It's about God wanting your heart and that you are joining him in his eternal saving purposes. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, that your word is truth. It helps us to see things the way they really are. It's reality. And Father, we are reminded once again today that we are the owners of nothing. It all comes from you. It's all going back to you. And Lord, I thank you for our Woodside Church family and just the generous giving. I pray that you'll continue to work and that we'll be, we'll be able to continue to use what comes in for your glory to help people, to reach people. Lord, we pray that. And Lord, I want to lift up the one that is just wondering, is it worth it to give? Oh God, would you help them to see that you are good and that they can trust you and work in their hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going to come to the table and take communion. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, please come and take. If you're um, here today and you'd rather not take communion for some reason, please just pass it along. That's okay. But as we take the bread and the cup, it's a reminder to us of reality. You see, we can have stuff, and it's tangible. I can touch my car, I can walk into my house, I can do it, it's tangible. But my relationship with Jesus, I don't have, I can't see him, I can't touch him. And that's one of the reasons Jesus said, remember me, I want you to do this regularly. Remember that my body was given for you. 
And remember my blood was shed for you so that you could have a relationship with me forever and ever. That's the most important thing. Today be reminded that you have the heart of Jesus. His love for you is perfect. You can't change it. And he's asking, can I have yours? Can I have yours?